Hello and welcome to episode 160 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Schellner. Today on the podcast, it's Daniel Craig's last ride as James Bond in the long-awaited No Time to Die. And joining us on the podcast is, of course, our co-host from the 007 Countdown series, Jay Habib. Jay, Scott, how are you guys doing? I'm good, Scott. It's been a long day. Um, I ended up seeing this movie today at 1 o'clock, which... I don't think I'm ever going to a movie again at that time. I feel like it just totally threw off my day um, as I've just been sitting in anticipation waiting to do this. But all in all good, it's starting to feel like fall around here. And, you know, it's a it's a gorgeous time of year. I'm going to go apple picking next week to check that off the yearly, you know, to-do list. And, yeah, no complaints. Scott? I'm doing well. It's uh, Look, it's been a couple weeks since we did this podcast, mainly because I've just been having the time of my life up here in New York City um, and in Boston. I guess there was a weekend where I was in Boston as well, which we were we spared the audiences of the film that shall never be named on this podcast. Um, but look, it was it's been a great two weeks. I'm doing really well. I just saw my last New York Film Festival movie, my 16th film of the festival, 15th new movie I saw, and it's it's been a great time, which is the re. You can blame me for not getting an episode last week about Venom Let There Be Carnage, although I had no good contributions to a conversation about Venom Let There Be Carnage, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. I think we would have had a spirited debate, and actually we probably should have had Jay on, because for once I think it would have been Jay and I ganging up on Scott been. for the review. Yeah, yeah it absolutely right. would have been. <laughs> it's not too but, late. Yeah. Make this a double Just feature. Kind of, I think, I think <laughs> we, I think, actually, I don't know Jay's opinion, but I think that we can all agree that no Time to Die is a better movie to talk about than Venom Let There Be Carnage. To talk Scott about? Scott doesn't yes. know how to appreciate camp classics. Well, he said, he said, he said to talk about. about. I know how to appreciate camp classics. <laughs> I just don't think Venom is that. Fair enough. But the cooking scene was one of the hardest that I've laughed all, all of 2021 easily. I, I will just have to say the scene with Venom, Venom cooking and singing. It's in the trailer. See, that's the problem putting your best scenes in the trailers, though. You think I paid attention to the trailer for this movie? <laughs> Whether you paid attention to it or not, Scott, I know that you saw it a hundred times. The only trailer that I trailers that I know are Licorice Pizza and Jackass Four because Jackass Four is the first trailer at the last probably at least twelve movies that I've seen. So <laughs> you don't know the Dune trailer or the? Oh, I just want to find trailer. out if the dude gets eaten. I just want to find out if the dude gets eaten by a bear already. Just get it over with. They put <laughs> salmon and honey on him. Uh, at, a, I, at my no time to die screening, funny story before we actually talk about the movie. Uh, at the inevitable Eternals trailer that ha is probably the last trailer before every movie at this point, had some full-on chads clapping at the end of the trailer. I mean, multiple people clapping in the, in the trailer. I'm like, oh my God, what is what have we come to? Oh yeah, and that's the thing about the Jackass trailer. Every single time that it's played, it always gets laughs. I'm like... Well, that's fine. Whatever. I mean, that's cinema at least. Enjoy yeah, it. Eternals yeah. is going to be great. I just I can't believe people cheer for the trailer of Eternals. Like that's just bizarro yeah, world I, that we've oh, we've entered into. People, yeah, th this is actually what I learned at the New York Film corporate Festival. IP people, adulation at its yeah. finest. People don't know how to watch movies in a theater anymore. That's what I've decided. I mean, yeah. Well, I, look, some of that is understandable. People have we've been cooped up in our homes for over a year. I mean, Jay, that was. Seeing Venom was your first time back at the theater, right? So yep, and no time. Then that was what a day and a half ago. And yeah, right. No time to die was shortly after. 
So people don't know what to do with their hands. They've been inside for too long. <laughs> there you go. Um, all right, guys. Well, our movie today is the 25th entry in the James Bond series, No Time to Die. Directed by Kerry Fukunaga, No Time to Die sees Daniel Craig don Bond's famous tuxedo for a fifth and final time. When the film opens, Bond has retired and is on holiday with Leia Seydoux's Madeline Swan in southern Italy. With Christoph Waltz's Blofeld in custody, Bond believes all his affairs are settled. But when a bomb planted at the tomb of Bond's ex-lover, Vesper Lind, nearly kills Bond, he begins to suspect that he's been set up, potentially even by Madeline herself. So he leaves her for good. We then skip ahead five years where a bioweapon produced by MI6 and authorized by M, played by Ray Fiennes, falls into the hands of the mysterious terrorist Lucifer Safin, played by Rami Malek. Bond is deeply entrenched in retirement in Jamaica when his old friend Felix Leiter, played by Jeffrey Wright, appears to coax him back into action one last time. Bond initially refuses, but when things get unexpectedly personal, Bond has no choice but to return to the line of duty and try and save the world again. What he discovers, however, is that MI6 has moved on without him. And if Bond is going to reassume his 00 status, he will have to earn the trust of the new 007, Nomi, played by Lashana Lynch. What ensues over 167 epic minutes is an all-encompassing adventure that will see Bond confront his past demons one more time and reckon with what his future in the world looks like, if indeed he even has one. Jay, we'll start with you. There's no time to die. Bring this serialized arc of gritty Bond films to a satisfying close, or were you left questioning Daniel Craig's decision to return to this role a final time? Let me, let me tell you about my day, guys. I, I watched... I guess what was a finale in a series of what spy epics um, where we sent off like an iconic character and the main spy is perhaps past his prime and being left behind in a world he knows nothing but to do with. Um, and the character that was sent off, I felt really emotional about it and I thought it was really well done. And I'm describing the season 12 finale of Archer. Rest in peace, Jessica Walters. Um, <laughs> this, this was not... I mean, this was fine. It fell a little flat for me. I'm sorry. Like, I'm I'm gonna be that guy today. Um, it was an epic movie. Um, you know, there there were a lot of really good things about it. I feel like it also just still had a lot of, not all of, but a lot of the problems that like some Bond films do. I feel like the villain for me is definitely one that I'm kind of like, okay, like another just forgettable performance. Um, I'm not but sure. At least they've returned to the, you know, time-honored tradition of being extremely on the nose with their Bond villain name. I mean, they might as well have just called him Lucifer Satan, for Lucifer. God's sake. <laughs> like... Sure. Um, I'm not sure how far we're going to go into this without, like, major spoilers coming up. Because, obviously, the, the biggest thing that happens in this movie is a, is a big spoiler. Um, and I'm one who is dissatisfied with that i can understand it in terms of like the grand arc it's just not what i wanted and it did not work for me well, um, jay, jay wanted his daddy's bond at the end of the movie he didn't want new bond honestly i i, I went on I, I told someone about this after and they sent me a screen cap which described it perfectly from like reddit that was like they should have dark knight rises as that shit like oh i was waiting for that i was waiting for no the jay that, that's entirely like, the wrong surely movie. he's not gonna do it yeah. we will fundamentally disagree on that point that being the and, right well, yeah. okay like LaSha not... lashana lynch should have gone into like the office and they'd have been like 
I love your last name, Robin, or whatever. <laughs> or, or that would have been the way to do it right there. <laughs> no, straight up. It just Her last like, name is also Moneypenny. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I guess let's go there, right? Like, to me, like, this is going to be, like, my biggest sticking points so, like finer final like you know spoiler warning but like no nah, i jump straight to it all right let's i mean th- that that's just it i think that th- this was like you know i was like sitting there like okay this is boring and like a little long. i was bored by like you know two really 20 okay. i was bored but like if they'd given him the happy ending i think i would have been like you know okay fine like way to like send him off into the sunset and like i get what they were going for and they kind of tried to half-assedly explain it away at the end with that quote that M reads, but it just did not work for me. Um, I thought he deserved better. Is is, is where I'll start. That's that that is such an interesting perspective because by all accounts, I understand is that th- that was his one demand coming back to the role is that they that they kill him at the end that he wanted that. Daniel and Craig I that. I feel like I I heard that somewhere too. Um, and that's fine, you know, like it's fine if that's what he wanted, you know, and there are obviously you can go read. I'm sure you guys have read like all the stuff he's said about. Well, he'd rather slit his wrists than right, play Bond right. again. After, no, so, after like, I get it. He was basically just like, there's yeah. no chance I want to be able to come back, you know, like just kill me off. Fine. You know, but like it's not I think about like, you know, I, I was comparing it a lot to The Dark Knight Rises and like, like a couple others. But like, you know, in that. That's actually a movie where, like, if they had left Bruce dead, I feel like, and you know, it's been nine years, spoilers, whatever, like, that would have been okay with me, right? Because it felt like that was a character who really had nothing left in the world and, like, you know, did one last heroic thing, died. And, like, again, I get what they were going for, but, like, they, they haven't really indicated to me that this Bond, like, needed to, like, die a good death. You know, like, he's tried to have a happy ending, like, more than once. This movie started with him, you know... Again, like giving love another chance and trying to find forgiveness. And I get that there was like a five-year time jump, but I don't know. I I honestly think if you describe Spectre, not like actually the way Spectre was played <laughs> out, but like if you describe Spectre, that to me would be a better ending to his franchise than, or like, you know, his run is Bond. Like he takes down the Illuminati and rides off into the sunset with Madeline Swan than this was. In terms of like what I wanted for him at the very least. So I felt pretty bummed out by that. That's that's my rant. All right, Scott. Well, I, I'm confused whether I should go and talk about my thoughts on the whole movie or or just talk about the ending. I'll, that's, I'll we'll get to the we'll get to the ending in more detail. Just okay, okay. I mean, I was extremely satisfied with this ending. I thought that it's about the best they could have possibly done to wrap up Craig in this franchise. So I, I think in a lot of ways, like I'm kind of completely opposed to Jay's. JJ's thoughts here about the end of the movie, which is fine. I think that the one thing that I respect so much, and I think in a post Rise of Skywalker world, is that a franchise, even a sub franchise like this, like Daniel Craig's James Bond, like trademark Daniel Craig, trademark James Bond, um, is that they were able to them- like thematically remain consistent, even in this last film after the disappointment and i think even in my letterbox review i said the complete travesty that was the second half of specter and y- yes specter has like the feel good ending for bond but i just think that's like not the bond that daniel craig is i think that we've seen that from the beginning to the end that like this bond is 
the more grounded, more real, more gritty, like all these like sort of like adjectives that you might describe something that's like more tethered to reality than, you know, pretty much every Bond movie that we watched before getting to the Craig Bonds. And I'm just really impressed that Eon, who are the, you know, the Broccoli's and and whatnot, were were like stayed true to that image even after Spectre was a pretty big disappointment at the box office and critically. And I think that Kerry Fukunaga, you know, coming from, you know, what made him famous with things like Beasts of No Nation and True Detective season one. I mean, he's the kind of filmmaker who's going to make that kind of movie. He's not going to make a movie with a super happy ending to it. And I like they just like they went for it. They went for maintaining those themes and giving like giving Craig's Bond the ending that felt right thematically for the series. And although it's not what everyone, including Jay here, will have wanted for him, I think that it's really it's a really touching moment, I think, and is sort of the final culmination of something that I think that has felt really disconnected from every other type of Bond movie. And that is the movie is just about all of Craig's failures as Bond. And what I think what this film sort of evolves towards is like, yes, he finds his way to stumble through the plots of almost every movie with some setbacks here and there. Right. But like, I feel like this version of Bond has just been so defined, not by the successes he ultimately finds his way into, but by the failures, even in those successes, the failures that, that led him to that, like, you know, in Casino Royale, like, yes, they gets the money back, but Vesper betrays him and dies and quantum of solace, you know, um, Matthew dot like Matthews dies, um, you know, in, in Skyfall, it's Judy Dench's M and inspector, you know, the whole damn thing. <laughs> I don't know. It's just so bad. Uh, I can't even think about the second half of that movie. Um, but look, I just, I just am really glad that they stuck with that theme. And in this case, it's like he, he was finally able, right. To succeed in, stopping this poison chemical, like stopping all these poison chemicals from getting across the world. He was able to get, you know, the woman that he loved off of this island and away from danger and his child, another big spoiler for the movie. And he was able to die like sort of like the, the soldier's death in that. And he still failed to get him, you know, to fully complete the mission, right. To get himself off of the island. Um, But I, I just think that it worked really well. And I think that that, Fukunaga did did a really great job as the director here. I mean, I'll never say a bad word about Sam Mendes outside of the context of Spectre, but I mean, to go from Sam Mendes, who's, you know, one of the most famous British directors to the first American director who's ever directed, you know, an Eon produced Bond movie in Kerry Fukunaga. I, I mean, I just think it was, maybe it wasn't something that he thought about as a director, but I, I mean, that's a huge weight on your shoulders to like be wrapping up Craig's, story arc and also be the first non-british person who's directing a movie with the broccolis and i just think that he really stepped up to the plate the feel of the movie feels super consistent while also having its own sort of you know flair and i guess what i'd expect from fukunaga i mean i remember like one of the most iconic scenes in true detective is like the incredible one shot in episode five or six of they're going through all of the houses and doing this like drug raid uh, like undercover drug raid and just an incredible scene. 
and I was like, is he gonna do? Is he gonna do a long take? Is he gonna do a tracking shot in this movie? And through most of the film, I'm like, oh, I guess he's not gonna do it. I mean, why? Why try to one up Sam Mendes? I mean, that was one of the amazing things about Spectre was the opening um, tracking shot, and they still he still managed to sneak one in, you know, on the island going up the staircase as he battles his way to the top of the tower. And I'm, I was just really impressed overall. I mean, Craig is, I mean, he was never going to dethrone himself as my favorite Bond with this outing, barring some just horrible monstrosity of a film. But I do think that it's just another like tally mark in his column for why he's such, you know, the, the widest ranging bond that we've seen um, in terms of the actual acting ability that he shows in this, in these movies. And I think that he's asked to do the most and he delivers the most. Um, and he does it again here in a, in a film that he probably has no business actually being in and, and, you know, should have been wrapped up in movies before. So overall, I was super impressed. There are plenty of flaws. I don't disagree with some of the flaws that that Jay already mentioned. I mean, it has another villain problem. We can talk about that for sure. You know, I, I think it's it's just the nature of this film being all about Craig that, you know, my my love for the film probably outstrips the actual, you know, quality of it. I, I really do like this film a lot. Um, and I still think it's a really good film but it doesn't live up to Casino Royale or, or Skyfall in terms of quality, even if I did really enjoy it. I think I'm somewhere in between you two guys. I, I uh, definitely am not as strong about my appreciation of the film as Scott was, but I also think I enjoyed it a lot more than I was expecting. Again, maybe some of this is me grading on a curve, right? Because I you was, couldn't have been more negative going into this movie. Honestly. I was really dreading. It was it was almost my Jurassic World for this year, especially after rewatching Spectre, and I That's just feel like, oh, two hours forty seven minutes. So maybe I, maybe the fact that I'm not just relentlessly negative is just that I prepared myself well, right? I was like, <laughs> this is going to be a long. This is going to be way too long. Uh, there's going to be boring parts. Um, you know, there's going to be some of the Bond stuff that I just don't like that much. Um, and there were, right? There were, there were boring parts. There was stuff that the Bond franchise just still hasn't really figured out. Villain problem being, I think, the biggest one, especially in the Craig era, something that they, they never really got right. And they had a chance here with Rami Malek, right, who... God knows, like if there's one role that he could, it would actually be perfect for. It's a Bond villain. Weird, weirdly enough, like he plays more of a Bond villain in pretty much all of his other movies than he does in when he actually plays a Bond villain. So Freddie um, Mercury is actually the Bond villain, the real Bond villain. I mean, he would have been what I wanted that level of you know camp again because that, I just I can't take Rami Malek seriously at all as an are actor. You, are you sure? That, so are you saying they they should have just like slapped a mustache on him and sure gone crazy? Well, and like it's it's right there, right? They have like the weird face thing with him. Like That's it's like true. come on, just let him cut loose. Just let him be Rami Malek weird, like just <laughs> what he is. Like why are we wasting this in the little things when you have you know a big opportunity here? Uh, to let him do that. But anyway, um, I think that's a problem. I'm not jazzed really about Lashana Lynch as the new 007 character, um, if that's where they're going. Um, they're not. They're, I, I, yeah. I, I think they're going to completely recast. I think they're going to reboot everything. But we can talk about that at the end. The the romance, Bond and, and Madeline Swan. Um, sure. 
like again I, I still think vesper is the superior character i appreciate that they do make some effort to try and flesh out madeline swan's character a little bit here but i just i don't know that i buy like the depth of their affection right this is after all this time this is finally like the if we'd never seen life-defining love yeah. that that you know he's been waiting for for all this time like if this were a standalone no. Bond movie and like we didn't have the context of the beginning of the relationship from Spectre, because this is something like some activity I like, try to do with myself like after the movie. Like if you just take out like what feels like just the complete bullshit of their relationship in Spectre. Like I, I think that this that if you just erase that or if you could erase that, like this this movie does like some serious rehab on her and their relationship, but it's like really hard to let go of the, of the origin of it. Right. Like it's just, it's really hard in the movie to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so th those are a lot of the things that didn't work for me. I still think the movie has a lot of momentum. Like it was probably two hours in before I actually started to get a little bored. Um, so it, it lasted a, a long, long time. Um, Somewhere when Rami Malek and and Daniel Craig have their little like sit down chat or whatever, that's where I started to glaze over a little bit. Um, and that's good. That's the end of the movie, right? Like that's when they're on the island. Yeah. Again, it it, it it sustained things for for a long time, even if I still was having some issues with it. I think you know, in particular, the first part of the movie is really good. Um, there's some good action, uh, but I think I think the thing that works the most is is I agree with Scott. Like the theme like the way that they wrap up like the the central theme of bond being kind of a screw up and, and like literally they go so far like the idea that everything bond touches dies they literally in this movie it what he touches dies because of the way that these nanobots things work right um so it may that's probably a little bit on the nose but uh, again I, I think they do a good job of like following through on this theme that I think has been fairly present throughout all the movies. Again, Spectre, I think is just an anomaly like that. People just, they just weren't even trying in that movie, in my opinion. And the, I think that's, that's just a plus. Another plus for this movie is actually feels like everybody was all in again. Everybody's like, we want to do this as right as we can. Um, Cause this is, the, this is the last ride for, for bond. And I think the emotional stuff, again, the, the thematic stuff, all works for the most part. I think the ending is good. Um, I think it's the only way it could end, right? With um, him finally realizing that the only way he's going to be able to save the people he loved from coming to harm again is to sacrifice himself, right? Um, and so I, I think that works. What doesn't work is the title card at the very end of the credits that says James Bond will return. Um, yeah which we'll talk about that at the end where, where we think things go from here. But um, I mean, that, that's why we like, know Lashana Lynch is not going to be the next bond for me. Like, right. This is it. This is the perfect moment, right? Like you got to do a serious arc with bond. You yeah. got to like kind of revitalize this character's image as like the old fashioned, like kind of sexist goof, right. That he was in a lot of the, the early movies. Um, you did it. You rehabbed his image. He got to meet the love of his life. Apparently, um, he had times. a child. Um, he had he had a child, right? And he sacrifices himself 
this whole set of Bond movies has kind of been like, are, is there still a place in the world for someone like Bond? And the answer, not really, is is kind of what the side that this movie maybe comes down on. And I, you know what? I'm fine with that. Just end it, right? Just let this be it. Bond yeah. dies. He goes out on a high note. And that's it. We, we've answered the question. The world has moved on without Bond. We have Mission Impossible now. We don't need him anymore. Uh, like, that, that that's just that's you, you invoked the name of mission impossible so i have to say that my pitch for a reboot is to actually do what mission impossible was originally doing and that's actually like be a period piece like my my reboot pitch is that they like go full period like cold war spy shit and like have james bond be the star in like a noir spy pulpy drama and like that and you completely remove it from this modern setting and just let mission impossible corner that market because they have in my opinion yeah um are, are but... we doing this because i'd like to make my pitch um that we just drop bond and do a spin-off on ana de armas's character yeah uh, as a spy well look whatever. i guarantee Craig you said right he now... doesn't even want like the next you know bond to be a woman write new parts so here we go like take this run with it she was phenomenal like you know make the next spy saga about her please there, there's no way that like in the next month there's not some conversation at amazon about like can we can we do a Paloma miniseries or like, can we do David? A, David Leitch is over here miniseries. salivating probably. To he can't, he can't possibly do another project. The guy is attached to like everything that has an action sequence. He'll find a point. way. <laughs> He'll find a way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you on that. Jay, like, what a waste, right? Like she's in glorified cameo. You could have done so. It was. Much. It was. She a cameo. should have swooped in and saved him at the end. She like. should have been the next 007. They should have had her and not Lashana Lynch. Like I'm sorry, but like you're, you're super Lynch negative was... on Lashana Lynch. I I, I want to vote. I want to at least voice that I'm not nearly as negative. As I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not. I'm not really making a comparison. I just really enjoyed Ana de Armas. I thought, yeah, you know, she. I definitely. I mean, I definitely enjoyed her like the most. I'll even say like, and you know. Shit. She was all right. Fun. Well, let's let's transition a little bit because we're kind of getting into the characters. Sure. Let's talk about the performances, the characters. Um, and we'll start, of course, with Daniel Craig and James Bond. His last outing. Um, Scott, Maybe. I think I know the answer. You know, did he did he do it justice at the end? He did do it justice. I, I mean, I talked to I don't want to dwell too much because I have talked about it already when I was talking about my longer thoughts earlier. But look, I think once again, he's showing that. Maybe through no part of his own, just because he again he's being asked to do more than any of the other bonds that we watched in the countdown that I've seen, right? He's being asked to give a wider range than anyone else, so it's maybe not even a fair comparison. Although I think that he probably could do better than Roger Moore could ever do, but that's neither here nor there. I think that he he again is proving that he had like he in these movies has the widest range. Um, you know, he's doing the serious stuff, he's doing the physical stunts. He's doing it all um, in this role. And that's why, you know, that that's why he sticks out so much to me. I mean, that and the fact that, I mean, he's the Bond that I grew up with, which I do think plays a role, right? Like Scott, like you grew up watching more of these Bond movies on, you know, on, on TV, right? Watching the reruns. And, and so I think that the Bond you grew up with, which is usually connected to the time you're growing up, but not always the case, um, is the Bond that you sort of gravitate to. And Daniel Craig is, is that Bond for me. And I think that this movie is a really solid outing. I mean, he, he's just like the only person who I feel like we've watched that shows like how, um, like how great of an actor he is in these movies. I mean, 
look, Sean Connery proved that he's a great actor in plenty of movies. I just don't think James Bond were those movies that proved that he was a great actor. Um, and I think Daniel Craig is using this to sort of bolster his his catalog and his credentials um, as this person who can who can do it all as Bond. Um, and he does it again here. He, I really I mean, they're taking that range even further in this one. They're giving him even more emotion to sort of deal with. They're they're making him this aging figure who not only was already someone who the world had sort of moved past, but, you know, physically, you know, the world is moving past him now. He has the bum knee or like I mean, they make a comment about that in the film. And the fact that he's able to display that on screen and <laughs> the, I mean, honestly, some of the physicality of this role is it's truly amazing. I mean, the guy's like in what his mid 50s. Or something like that at this point. I mean, it's incredible the, the stunts he's doing. And the same goes for Tom Cruise in a reason a Mission Impossible movie. It's insane that these actors are doing the stunts that they're doing at these age. Um, and, and when he looks just absolutely beat and exhausted at the end of the movie before those missiles hit him, like I like he had to have been that exhausted. I mean, unbelievable the kind of stunts that he was doing um on, on that island. And yeah, mad respect for, for Daniel Craig. Jay, do you have mad respect for Daniel Craig? I have mad respect for Daniel Craig. I mean, that's why I'm so upset, you know, about his ending. Like I, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time, you know, not nearly as much as you guys, but it, you know, a lot of time rooting for this guy. Um, Would you have been happier if he, if they like none of them made it off the island? He's just like hugging his family as they die. Would that have been? I'm no. just curious if that would have been ha- if that would have been the Rogue ending. One ending. You know? Yeah, the Rogue no, One. Ending. Yeah. No, definitely not. Like, why? Yeah. Why? I don't even. I don't. I don't know why that's a question. Just an alternative like a, scenario. Is there like a leap in logic that I'm just missing? Whatever. Um. No, it's it's a, it's another possible ending that they you know they die together, so they're together in the afterlife. Jay, I mean, okay, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't even I have no response to that. Um, <laughs> no, I mean Craig Craig still does a phenomenal job. I, I don't think there's any disputing that he you know showcases the widest range and does it super yeah. well. Like another, I really don't have too much to add on that. Like you know he he brings it. Again, maybe that's just why I'm so just like, oh, like, why did you have to do them like that? Um, yeah, and like, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like maybe I, I, like, I think when I initially walked out of the theater in Endgame, I think for like five minutes, I was like, why'd they have to do that? And then I was like, all right, hang on. Like, I think, okay, no, that, that made a lot of sense. I just don't feel like it was as, I'm sorry, I'm just going to keep talking about the ending. Let's just go back to Craig. I. <laughs> He did great. I really just didn't want him to go out like that, but he did great. Like again, my my fervor and my you know me staying adamant about this, I think, it just shows like how much I really wanted this guy that he put on screen to like, you know, have a happy life. Again, I was pretty negative on his performance, Spectre, just because I just felt like he wasn't trying. Like he he really it really did seem like he had one foot out the door, right? Like he was he was truly done with the role so i wondered like is he gonna be able to bring back the old craig magic for one more time for this you know two hour 47 minute mammoth of a movie um after the you know they had to force him to come back basically um and he does like i think this is uh this is one of his strongest performances in a in a bond movie if not the strongest um i think you know you really see him reckoning more than ever with the sins of his past um, and all the people that he's hurt um, when he, you know, decides to retire, there is a, you know, sort of weight that feels like it's lifted off of his shoulders. Um, like, you know, in the beginning, even when he's with Madeline there in Italy and he says, you know, we have all the time in the world or whatever. It's um, it's like he's fine. You know, he's finally 
Um, just well, he hasn't retired at that himself. point, right? Has he retired at that point, technically? Well, I don't know that it's he specifically has, but again, he says something like, "We have all the time in the world," right? Like, yeah, that's it, true. It's almost like he'd already that's quit, he, but yeah. he's got his eye on that. If, if he's not there already, um, because like, yeah, like Blofeld gets locked up, it's like that feels like the last. Because the implication is that, that it's like immediately after the end of Spectre, right? Like that's the that's yeah, the yeah. I mean, yeah, because yeah. that's they leave at the they leave together at the end of yeah. Well, they're in London at that point, but yeah. Well, yeah, point, but yeah. um. They drove a long but, way yeah. at Aston Martin to get to Italy. <laughs> hey, I guess I guess it's dual. No, it's not. Um, but anyway, I, I mean, so I think he sells all the big moments. Um, he he's definitely giving it his all, right? He he, it, it's clear that he's determined that he yeah. wants this character to go out um, on the best possible note. They obviously gave him what he wanted with you know the end to the character, um, and so that probably helped his level of investment um in the proceedings so he's still not my favorite bond um just because the this approach to bond is just not not my favorite um the you know gritty very serious um mindset at the same time i do think that there are more there's more humor in this movie than i was expecting there's more wit i think a lot of that comes from the fact that phoebe wallerbridge um was a co-writer on the movie i, I mean there's lots of, of puns and one-liners that are definitely yeah. not present in any of the other bond movies yeah so I, I i did appreciate i did appreciate that there's some good chuckles um in the movie which i mean there's the there's the whole the whole cuba the whole cuba thing is just a big joke I feel like. Yeah. Well, I mean, Felix Leiter is just an absolute vibe. Like every time he shows, <laughs> like that that guy is just he is just always vibing every time he shows up. In these movies. No, no like, context shot of this movie with like Felix and Bond. You would think that Felix was the one that was retired. I mean, that guy is like just. Oh yeah, I mean, again, he just rolls <laughs> island vibe. He just he rolls in with the Hawaiian shirt, like two buttons undone. It was the same Quantum in Quantum of Solace. Solace. Yeah, he's just chilling on the couch at the at the party. Yeah, like you know, he's out here playing playing poker, just living his best life in Casino Royale. Like, um, they really did him dirty uh, by by making him go out like that. But again, you know, following through on yeah. every single person that. Is comes into Bond's orbit that he he cares about. They, but all these people the also man. like wanted him to have a better life. You know, it's so when funny. Mathis died, he was like, "Let her go." When Felix died, he was like, "What a life." Yeah, but you see, know? that's the thing. It ke it keeps happening, and I think he realizes finally that maybe the only the way that this is going to happen is yeah, is for. Yeah, I, I do. I do find it so funny. And and this is I know this is just like a fact. This is the 25th Bond movie and Felix Sliders and like 50 of them before this. And but just like he's been in like three scenes. In the whole yeah, Craig. the brother thing was not. Earned. <laughs> it's just like there's no context for this kind of emotion whatsoever, was, except all of the other non Craig. Honestly, Bond yes, movies. no, straight up. Honestly, I that I thought. felt. But I felt way more th than that than I did at the ending when Madeline Swan is like crying, like I mean, that because too, Jeffrey though. Wright is so good in the role of Felix, like you know, he, he yeah. makes you feel the the connection between the two of them. So like, I honestly, that was a more emotionally. I think that also part of moment. it is like your is your Bond history though, because I mean, you've watched like all the Felix movies. But right. I don't care about I didn't care about Felix prior to I mean, Jeffrey Wright playing. But I'm saying it's like built in. I've only seen him in yeah, License maybe. to Kill, right? And like. Sure, I agree sure. with both points mm -hmm. there that like I don't think the yeah the the emotion was necessarily earned 
but it also did move me more than like any of the Madeline stuff did. Yeah, Man, like, you guys I was are wild. Mad. I was like, "How are you doing, Felix? Dirty like that?" Like, I mean, the Madeline stuff is like whatever for me, but it is like the, the Bond ending. I mean, his his demise it got me, but I don't know how much of that was due to Madeline Swan. Um, let's talk about we've. I mean, I've kind of given my thoughts on Rami Malek. We got into it a little bit um, about his performance and character. Anything you want to add here about him as Lucifer Safin uh, to sort of. Well, you've already said, like, there were moments where I felt like he was almost trying to give it a little bit of Javier Bardem from Skyfall. That sort of, like, stoic sicko, right? Like, he's just... Yeah. Um, Javier Bardem does so it He's so calm, like, and it's to, supposed to be to a creepy yeah. level, but it just comes off as boring. Yeah, I do think Javier Bardem is is more captivating, but even, even still, he's doing a lot with that performance, and not all of it works for me. Again, I... No, none of the villains from this era of Bond have really made that much of an impact for me. And I, I, I honestly yeah. I did have hope for Rami Malek because, again, I think this is the perfect setting to try and use him. But I think you are in they, the minority on like the on the on the Raul Silva take that he's not a good Bond. I player. am. Yeah, yeah, I am. I, I do think that most and, people and think people that love Lashif Lashif and, and Silver are considered to be top tier Bond villains. But I mean, I, I, I just don't understand that. I think the Lashif thing, a lot of that just comes from the fact that people love Mads Mikkelsen, like, which is understandable, right? He's great. Yeah, right. But like that character is is nothing like in my opinion. And that's my favorite Bond movie. But I, I think that's the, the worst thing about it. Like it probably is the, the villain problem. But anyway, other thoughts on Rami Malek and Lucifer Safin? Two questions come to mind. One, and I'm stealing this from somewhere else, but after the beating uh that bond took at the hands of mad mickelson and casino royale how was he able to procreate and two um how old was rami malik when he showed up to like kill 10 year old madeline swan yeah probably like, like 20 i mean i think he's so implied like, to be like a teenager so like i i, I want a number because like he meets and saves <laughs> no but listen like he, like think about it like, he meets like the and photo. saves the photo he, he meets and saves this like 10 year old girl who he's in love with like 20 years later like it, there there's something weird about that like, it's, I, it's I definitely weird but i mean look he's he's a sicko dude like i don't know like you gotta have some pedophilia in there too at some point to make him I really guess. weird i mean yeah that, that's that's a key it's an I, easy way to show that your bad guy is extra bad just you I know. did really like that opening fight between the two. Oh, like, me I think too. Uh, no, it was great. I think it's like but... it's it's like a horror movie almost. Like at, at yeah. certain moments of it. Yeah, yeah no, I was, was gonna say horror. Good. It just vibe. raised questions. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, well, uh, understandably. Yeah. No, I I don't think I have. I like I said. I, I think he was just kind of boring. I don't necessarily think it was his fault. Like you know, if, if that's what he was supposed to do, like yeah, fine. You know, but I, yeah, I, I have a, like a lot of thoughts ideas not specifically about rami malik um but more just generally about bond villains in the era of craig but I, i'll start with rami malik i think he yeah i mean I, I think it's pretty pretty throwaway i mean m more so than any of the other movies so far in the craig run probably any bond movie you know bar none is that he's like not i mean he's barely in the movie until the last act I mean, I know that there's like a there's like a whole 40 to 50 minutes or hour that Javier Bardem isn't in the film. But then he's like the center of the movie, more or less, for the remaining like hour, 20 hour, 30 of Spectre. I mean, Rami Malek is in like two scenes 
before the third act of the film on the island. I mean, he's like barely there at all. Um, and I think that is a microcosm of a larger villain issue within the Craig era that's like fundamental and not specific to the characters. That I, I mean, I do think that Lashif and Raul Silva, as I mentioned in the countdown, are really high quality Bond villains. I mean, I mean, I, I really like them. There's no reason to relitigate it. They don't work for Scott here. That's totally fine. Um, but for me, they did work. And I think what they're able to do is, is like, because Craig's Bond again, grounded all the adjectives we've already said a thousand times about Daniel Craig, is that like the, the memorable Bond villains, and certainly I think the villains that Scott appreciates the most are the ones that are the campy, colorful, high camp, you know, high concept almost weirdos, not sickos, but like weirdos that yes, have a lot but of... I, but I also like really enjoyed Sean Bean, for example, in GoldenEye. Like, I think that was that was a great villain That's as Alex yeah. Trevelyan. But I, I mean, it, generally, I think I agree with your proposition. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess the, my point is not to make a statement about the kind of villains that you like, but I think that mm -hmm. those types of villains, which are a pretty traditional Bond villain, are just not like you can't really do them in an era of Craig where you're trying to create yeah. these these guys like these these stories with these villains and with these people that like are equally down to earth. If that's a word that you can use, right? That like are equally grounded in a reality that you can like you know venture your mind out to believe in. And I think Raul Silva is like probably like the outer limit of what you can do with that. And Lashif is like probably like the most grounded. Like he's not even really a big bad. He's just like some middleman who like deals money and like he's even like getting almost killed by like worse people than him halfway through the movie. Right. And so like they're like two ends of the spectrum. And the problem is like the the villains that don't work are the ones in the middle of this grounded reality where they're not they're not really sitting one way or the other. And in the case of Rami Malik, like they're trying to push more towards Javier Bardem, but there's just like nothing to the character. I mean there's like yes there is this backstory right of like specter killed his family and he wants revenge on specter and for some reason now he also wants to kill bond because of madeline swan i don't even know what his real reason for wanting to kill bond even is couldn't tell you um except that he's i guess just trying to stop his poison operation um <laughs> sean finnessy called him poison merchant which i just thought was hilarious on the big picture podcast at least it's not because he, he it's his brother yeah yeah that is true um, I can't argue with that comment, but I think for me, it's just, there's nothing to the, there's just nothing there really. There's like not much to the character. It's half baked. It's a half baked villain. It's just the truth. Um, and like, maybe that's just the reality of the villain in, in this particular movie. Like it was never going to be fully baked because the film is about Craig. The whole movie is about Daniel Craig's bond. And it's about his time as bond coming to a close. And the villain isn't, I would say it's not even a secondary character. In this movie, like ultimately the villain is the tertiary is a tertiary character to everything that's going on. And I think that's just a reality we have to live with. Um, it could have been more deranged. It certainly could have been better. It could have been better. But like, whatever. I mean, the, the villain being good to me in this film. Just wasn't that high of a priority for me, which is why I'm not as disappointed by the disappointment of the villain. It would have been better if the villain had been good. Don't get me wrong. But I don't know. There just wasn't much there. And I think that's a reality of. of you know, a bunch of movies where you're you're really trying to ground and center Bond in the center of these stories and actually have a narrative and a character development over the course of them. It just de-emphasizes having these big, like these like episodic big bads that aren't really important at the end of the day. I mean, they they tried to make the serial villain 
with with Blofeld Inspector, and they just did a horrible job. So at least they didn't try to do that again. Yeah, I mean, and and I agree with you, and that's kind of why you know this era of Bond has you know several cons for me in addition yeah. to the obvious pros. But um, female characters, let's just talk about the three major, three or four major ones, I guess. Um, no disrespect to Naomi Harris's name. Well, she's she'd be the fourth, I guess. I know, I know. You I have know. Le- you have Leia Seydoux, um yeah. as Madeline Swan. Uh, you have Lashana Lynch as the new 007 Nomi. You have Ana de Armas, who we've already mentioned as Paloma, um, and then you have Naomi Naomi Harris. Second straight straight week with Naomi Harris, um, but we have her as uh, Eve Moneypenny. Um, definitely the worst part of uh, the oh man, too, I have to say. Not, I was gonna was say wrong, she has like but... a nothing role and no time to die, but it's better than what she had in Venom. Yeah. So. Uh, Jay, your thoughts, if any, on this whole cavalcade of characters who stood out to you for good and bad reasons? I mean, I, I can't heap enough praise on Ana de Armas, like, I'll try, but um. No, I mean, I, I I think I've summed it up in saying, like, please just make make a spinoff series about her. She has a long career ahead of her. She's only been training for three weeks. Like, you know, give me all those adventures and I will I will consume all of that content. Um, I mean, I thought Lashana Lynch was fine. Like, And also, sorry, they made a Bond girl who wasn't into James Bond? What? I, I did laugh when you know she yeah. starts undressing him and he's like, Don't you think we should get to know each other better first? And I'm like, Oh, like that's like, a 2021 honey, bond. No. <laughs> like Um, I actually did think the Lashana Lynch, to go back to her real quick, um, her her uh banter or her like bit about you know having the number 007 and then when Craig gets reinstated as a double O and she's like, Double O what? <laughs> like double O what? I actually thought that was really funny. Um Scott didn't, as you can tell from his facial I mean, expression. I, I don't know. I, I thought, I thought, like, I, it, it felt like out of place in the sense that, like, this is so unprofessional. But like, who cares? You know? Like, yeah. I, it was funny. Like, I thought it because, was because because James Bond is such a professional that's character. That's what I'm saying, though. Yeah. Exact, that's exactly it. Is you know, like that, like you know, you can't. That wouldn't happen, like IRL, I guess. But it was. I thought it was really funny. Um, you know, not. I, I'm not necessarily like thrilled by the idea of like her is the you know let's say is like 007 in the next franchise i wouldn't be opposed but it's you know i wouldn't i wouldn't call her my first choices i guess but i did i wanted to shout out that funny part um how about 008 though that feels would you um, vibe i i don't even know what to do with mini series it's it's not about what number like i to me 007 actually i think 008 would be worse because that's a weird like you're trying to appease the people that don't want her replacing 007. Like if you're going to go with her, make her 007. Yeah. Otherwise. Yeah. Don't, I mean, don't... they have to rehab their relationship with all of the, all of the, all the, I don't know, James Bond normies that, that wanted, that want their daddy's bond back. Yeah. So they probably can't, they can't call her 007 in the future. I, don't know. I mean, again, if you're, if you're going to go with her, call her 007, like don't 008 would be like a travesty. Like, you know, how about then, 0017? How would you feel about that? <laughs> no variations. Like, <laughs> and I guess just to wrap up my thoughts on the other two, like I say, do I, she's not that compelling. She's not that compelling to me for some reason. And I'll just leave yeah. it at that. And Naomi Harris is still just criminally underused for the second straight movie. And we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Ac- Academy Award nominated Naomi Harris. Not, not getting their best look in the last two weeks. 
Yeah. Uh, she, her best turn was obviously still in Pirates of the Caribbean. But um, yeah. anyway, uh, Scott, your thoughts on uh, this group of characters? Yeah, I will start um, at the end. Naomi Harris. Uh, yeah, retweet Jay's thoughts. I'll go to Leia Seydoux next because I saw a Leia Seydoux movie at the New York Film Festival called France, which was atrocious. It was a really bad movie. Um, not necessarily her fault, but the stink of that film was still very much um, all over me uh, as I walked into No Time to Die. And even in spite of that, I thought, like, again, I, I tried to be fair to her. I tried to sort of take all of the baggage of Spectre off the table when I was just thinking about how did she do in this movie? And I think she did pretty well in this movie. I think that she gave it her all. I think she did the best she could. I think that she benefited a lot from just having like the first scene in the movie, which is typically some like crazy bond stunt is her as a kid in this cabin. Like we, you referenced the scene already, Scott with Safin coming to kill her family. And I think that between that and then having the next scene in Madeira, she does go away for, for, you know, probably 45 minutes of the movie after that until she comes back in London. But I think that they really committed to making her a more fleshed out character. And I think Leia Seydoux, who is also an Oscar nominated actress, I believe. Um, oh, Scott's hella tilting. So maybe not. I, I thought she got a nomination, so. but maybe not. Um, but anyway, Leia Seydoux, like, I think that she's, she showed that she was capable of being this type of person. But I do think the reality is, is that she just has way too much baggage from specter i know that they kind of just like had to do it or whatever like they had like they couldn't just create this new love of bond's life for this last movie like she was the only option on the table um for them to come back with and i think that they made the most of that but man they it, it was it was a sophie's choice for them i think sorry yeah she's only been nominated for a bafta not an academy award blue is the warmest color yeah that would have been the movie but um yeah, like, I just think for me, the problem is, like, she doesn't have any chemistry with Daniel Craig. I, I think that's ultimately what the problem is. I don't know that, like, I agree. They they do flesh her out more in this movie to an yeah. effective level. Like, I don't think that her performance is, like, actively bad or anything. I just don't think together I believe them, again, as, like, this life-defining love, you know, love of his life or whatever. Like, I, she just seemed like just another you know bond girl that we've encountered for 50 years now um yeah again i just think so much is is like anchored on the fact that they don't have any chemistry inspector their whole backstory of how they came to be yeah. in love with each other is garbage yeah I, I hesitate to say that i don't see the chemistry in this movie but it's it's just so colored by what happens inspector it's it's inescapable for me Anyway, sorry, yeah, other yeah. other people. I mean, sorry, Lashana Lynch and Anna yeah. Armas. I do want to. I want to talk about them. Anna Armas, amazing. I was a little bit off put by her like first the first impression she makes when she's this like super aloof, sort of like spacey agent. Yeah. I was like, whoa, what are they doing with like? I was worried it was about to fall into some like weird like female stereotype of being ditzy, and they sort of they sort of have that vibe at first. But then, like, <laughs> incredibly capable in a fight. <laughs> I mean, honestly, she should be the ride or die. I think we all agree that she should be the ride or die for for Bond. Um, and they certainly show how that uh, could be the case in the in the barroom fight, which is 
probably the best scene in the movie, just from an action standpoint. I mean, so entertaining, ripping shots halfway through the fight. I mean, my God, I thought I was back in in the 70s or 80s with Bond for a second. Um, But yeah, and then Lashana Lynch. I just think that so that they like really committed to like a very particular vibe with Lashana Lynch of her just being like this like ultra cool girl badass agent that I I guess appreciated the commitment to and she has this like chip on her shoulder and has these like one up one liners that she's trying to throw at people as this like new agent on the block. And so I don't think that the character is given much to work with outside of that. And I think that whether or not you like Lashana Lynch as the next 007, which at one point I think she probably was the next 007. I don't, I mean, I, I don't think she is anymore. Um, I think that, that she, she did well with that. And I think it's for me, I can identify why someone might not like the character, but I do think the performance was, was committed to that particular dimensionality of the role that was devised. Um, that's my short summary of what I thought. I, I thought it was, kind of take it or leave it, but I appreciated what they went for, I guess. Yeah, see, for me, the whole just, like, banter between her and Bond of, like, like you say, she had, her having a chip on her shoulder, like, she's jealous or whatever, it it was just kind of silly to me, and not a, not a, a good good kind of silly. Like, I didn't find it funny. I, I just found it, like, a little bit antithetical, like you said, to the sort of very put together impression that they were trying to give off of this character um, that she would just be so rattled, I guess, by the the presence of, of bond again. Like it, it just, the banter came off as silly. Like uh, it just seemed like it was something out of a different movie. Um, and I think there's I think, lots of things out of different movies. I think the Cuba, the whole Cuba scene is like out of a different movie almost. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Fair when you have a movie that's two two hours and forty seven minutes long, which it's probably good didn't need to be that long. It's not. It's hard to make the whole thing cohesive. But need to get a um, count on how many times Scott says two hundred or one hundred and forty seven minutes or two hours and forty seven minutes. But uh, yeah, those are kind of my my takes. Uh, little Shauna Lynch, just eh, whatever. Um, Ana de Armas was great. Loved that scene. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think there's any chemistry between Bond and. And Madeline Swan, really. Um, what about and the kid? Money Penny. Money Penny was also there. She was. She was cute. She was a nice. Did they kid. have chemistry. Yeah, they did. They did. I, I will. I will say that when when he makes breakfast for her, that was a cute scene. Um, That's true. Anyway, um, I guess do we want to talk about nanobots at all? Because that oh. was a thing that happened. It's the only um, reason I logged on was to talk about nanobots, Scott. Yeah, I, I think all I have to say is really kind of what I said earlier that like I, I do kind of on some level appreciate the thematic significance of it um, of like, you know, literally everything he touches dies um, yeah. with these things on his skin or whatever. But I also think just like the explanation of how how they work is very muddled. And it's like I, I feel like it still doesn't make complete sense to me at the end of the movie. Like I get that he ends up with like the nanobots for 
Madeline and the daughter or whatever on him yeah. at the end, right? So if he touches them, they're going to die. D- dare um, I try to attempt to explain it probably incorrectly? Well, I mean, I, I think it generally, isn't it just like that you can, these things can be targeted at a specific like person, right? Yeah, That's so, so they, they like activate when they're near like the genetic sequence that they are like written to target. And so like, even though they're in his like bloodstream or whatever, they will like activate and leave his body when he's near, yeah. near enough to like, I don't know, make, I mean, make, makes contact yeah. with Madeline. And his that was physical the, contact, the, right? Cause they, they talked about the, that person who died and like five people made contact with the body at the funeral. Yeah. And, like, I mean, all... and also Blofeld. I mean, he ends up he touching him Blofeld. though. Like, yeah, 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 exactly. Like I'm sure the science, you know, makes no sense. However, I will say, <laughs> I appreciate them doing something different like this, right? I appreciate that it wasn't just like another nuclear bomb. Again, investment bankers and a bunch of investment bankers in a room just talking about how they want dirty money or whatever. Like there was actually you don't want Jonathan Price to come back and talk about how he's ending the world. I barely remember that movie. I want Um, Dave Bautista to walk in, not say a word, and snap someone's neck. (laughs) Except not actually break their entire body over his leg or something. But but yeah, so so even though the logic of it probably doesn't fully hold together, it was something different. And so I appreciated that they tried that at least. Anyone else have any thoughts on that? that? Less nanobots, more rabbit foot. Fair enough. Um, I guess we can't. I mean, we, we've sort of we already got, kind of got into the ending. Um, Q, though. But... Q is awesome. More yes, Q. No, more Q. Q was great. Please. Yeah. He was fun. Less uh, his I'm over dinner Ray party Fines. getting spoiled. Um, yeah, I mean, I think anyone he has an he has a thankless role because anyone is just going to pale in comparison, I think, to what Judy Dench was able to do in the role. And obviously, he's he's playing a very different type of M, and I think he he does that well. But when you just have such a positive association with the character from yeah. Judy Dench for so long, it's just I don't know. He's working at a disadvantage. But also, quickly before the ending, Billy Magnuson is. Better villain than than Rami Malek? It's it's possible. Um, the character was funny, at least. Yeah, I, at first his his whole vibe was again the sort of the odd trio of him and Felix <laughs> yeah. and Bond. There was was kind of funny, but um, yeah, may, maybe so. I mean, he's not around for a super long time, but um, yeah, True. he was he, he, he made dad. the most of it. I would say. Um, yeah, I mean, again, my thoughts on the ending are kind of like, mostly, I like it. I like, I mean, I think killing off Bond makes sense based on the story you've been telling over these last five movies. Um, I hate that James Bond will be coming back. Like, uh, I understand that that's just the reality of our world. And, I mean, Amazon and, didn't buy MGM for $9 million for nothing. These movies, these movies are never going to end, right? Like, no franchise out there probably is ever going to end at this point. Um, and well, Mission Impossible, yeah, sure. that's a tougher question. I, I, I just, you know, I've accepted it. That doesn't mean I have to like it. Um, and I think just for all that they were trying to say with killing off Bond, it would have, there would have been no better time for them to say, all right, this is it. We're done. Um, then at the end of this movie and they could, they couldn't even wait freaking two months, right. To say, okay, by the way, we're actually going to do another movie. They freaking just throw it in there at the end of the credits. Like I I hate it, but anyway, uh, other thoughts on, on the ending. I think we've kind of heard where everyone stands, but I don't know if, if you want to 
add anything on Jay? Obviously you didn't, you weren't as big of a fan of it. I get it. I, I, I can't, I can't complain about this anymore. I've done too much of that today. Um, it's all <laughs> still so fresh. I get it. Like everything you're saying makes sense. Even like, you know, the fact that Felix also dies in this movie, which again, I, I also was not a fan of. So maybe you just, I don't know, write that out. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, I'm getting ludicrous with it. I get it. Like I didn't again, care it, that much about the Felix death. No, nah, they, 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 they did my boy dirty like that. Oh, yeah, they definitely did him dirty. That's for sure. They, they 100% did him dirty because I didn't feel that much of an emotional connection to Felix. Or I felt like this film was trying to manipulate you into feeling an emotional connection to Felix when it hasn't earned it. That's I, actually, but I, I said that too, though. Like, I, I do I feel like it wasn't earned. That doesn't mean it didn't work, though. Like, I can be yeah. conscious of the fact that, like, this felt a little bit shoehorned in, but still, like, yeah. worked for me. I mean, again, like, I think, like, Scott Harvey said, I, I think it was you who said it, like just testament to like Jeffrey Wright bringing it in the role. Oh, yeah, he's big vibe. Yeah, I, I don't I know guess... if I have any more to say about the ending, but yeah. I thought the action was great. I thought every action set piece for the most part was good. I mean, probably the weakest one is the end, even though they still sneak in the the uh, the tracking shot, which, you know, I'm a sucker for them. Um, although I think at some point they are going to get old. I think I'm going to I think I'm going to be desensitized to them at some point. Um, there's a great tracking shot of Titan. I know you're not going to see it, probably, and you probably shouldn't. But uh, there is, a, yeah, if you're in, yeah. if you're into the whole tracking shot thing, there's well, Scott, you know I'm into the tracking shot, but I don't know if I'm into a tracking shot in Titan. Well, just find the scene on YouTube at some point. Then there you go. Uh, yeah, I'll it's come not, to the table. It's not one of the, the It's not one of the weirder scenes of the movie. But okay, fair um, enough. I might still see it. I don't know. We'll see. But like Italy. Um, Cuba, I think they're all just different in their own way. Like the forest in Norway, like each one just felt unique and brought something different. And I think one of the things that we've talked about, and I say this like every time it's something like diversity and action or whatever comes up, but like one of the things that, we, that makes that we talk about the Marvel movie, like makes the Marvel movie so successful is that it feels like each one of these different sort of like sub franchises has their own like brand of action and, and isn't always super generic. I mean, there usually is some like you know, climactic scene where it's all just big people punching hard and maybe throwing some magic around, but like black Panther, even Shang-Chi and like the early scenes, I'm just thinking of recent examples. Like they have a particular fighting style and aesthetic they bring to the movie. And I, I think that, that, that there's a similar sort of ethos that goes into like the different action scenes and no time to die of like, you have your sort of like chase scene in, like a traditional like urban chase scene in Italy, you have this like barroom fight in Cuba. Um, you have like a forest chase scene where like Bond is hunted, but then becomes the hunter. Um, and then you have this, I, what I would define as like the most traditional Bond scene at the end on this island um, that still has its moments, right? It still has its moments in there. I did. I do love Obershev, who is not someone we even, I don't even think we've mentioned his name on the podcast so far getting uh you know just a, a high quality death moment you know like or hate lashana lynch in this movie she does get to you know 300 kick this guy off of a catwalk um into acid um which you know we all can vibe with i think ouch um 
I have to, I want to add the Billie Eilish song. Very good, in my opinion. Probably the yeah. best of this era. Um, it's up there with Chris Cornell's song, definitely, uh, from from Casino Royale. It, it feels weird because, like, the song's been out for so long. Like, there's no novelty. It came out it right before me, COVID, but... right? Didn't, it, didn't yeah. the song come out in February? Or yeah. Uh, but it's it, it's really good. It fits the vibe perfectly. I think she was a great choice just because of her voice to like just do a Bond movie and do a Bond song. So uh, on that um, note, though, this one, oh improved. the god, they did so well, like seamlessly blending the uh, the credit the credit roll with the song starting and then picking back up again right after that. And they those assholes managed to get the iconic Bond turn and shoot scene on the island which i was like oh baby in the movie you yeah. stole so good you you stole my favorite moment it's right there yeah Ugh. i would like some confirmation though i think that uh, the stat is probably out there somewhere this probably is the longest into a movie before we get the title the opening credits of the song right like yeah, don't, it is don't pretty, you think it is pretty long definitely felt like of the ones we've seen for sure well, i mean we get the it's entire not, it's just after the opening stuff. scene right which we get the full opening scene yeah. and we get an entire set piece mm -hmm. after that so yeah i mean Skyfall is pretty long, right? Because there, there is. I mean, the really it's the long longest. It's the longest Bond movie, so it makes sense. But um, I mean, also, I mean, Skyfall was pretty long because they go through that entire scene, and yeah, then but Naomi like Harris shoots him, right. and that's when it starts. But I don't, I don't. It's probably oh, longer. you're talking about just yeah to get to the opening credits. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know, but I, I feel like this has got to be it. But yeah. Um, okay, last question before we wrap up. Where do we go from here? Uh, James Bond will return. Right. We know yeah. that according to the, the card at the end of the credits, um, when he returns, what do you want it to look like, Jay? Flush it out. I want it to be, the, to be the year 2049. <laughs> we, we've had a nice 28. Denis Villeneuve is directing and it's coinciding with the Blade Runner franchise. <laughs> <laughs> no, we've just had a nice long break. You know, Onda Armas went on to star in five more of these movies. Um, and maybe someone else even after that. No, I mean, if Bond is going to, I mean, and Bond is going to come back. They said I it. Mean, I mean, I don't know. Scott Harvey seems to think so. I wasn't so sure. I didn't stay for that title card. No, they like, did. They said it. I, I stayed till the end. No, no, yeah. I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not yeah, saying yeah. it didn't happen. I was more just like, it pissed I, me I, off. I wasn't super like, oh, it's definitely going to be James Bond. And then now I'm like, oh, okay, I guess it is. Um, I don't know. I mean, I hope they just, I hope they just do something different with it. Right. Like, yeah. you know, I'm not, I, I don't, I don't. I don't know, right? Like, I, I think I definitely preferred, on the whole, like, Craig's, like, slightly more grounded, grittier stuff. Again, on the whole, I think, than some of the, like, overly campy stuff. I think, you know, there's room to move back in that direction a little bit to make it different. I think if you just do kind of the same thing, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily find that as interesting. So, you know, hopefully it's something different and exciting. I mean, yes, I want it to be something different, too. Do I think it will be? Probably not. Um, just because I think this is the era we're in again, like that. I just I, I can't see them doing something more outside the box, either more experimental, going back to some more like Roger Moore type feeling where heavily tongue in cheek. I just think that the time for that has come and gone. That that is not the aesthetic that you're going to see in. 2010s and 2020s action movies like um and so i think when bond returns it will probably look fairly similar and that just doesn't excite me at all yeah if that is the case i do think that's a huge bummer i mean i know i kind of gave my mini pitch already 
I do think that they they need to like full reboot. My preference is to stick it as a period piece and make like a real like full John Le Carre, like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy type deal, you know, Cold War thriller, almost less of an action film, more of a thriller. Um, I do not like I I gave credits uh, to Eon earlier on carrying through the themes of, of this of this series into the final film. I, I and I, they were brave to do that, I think, where other companies might have might have caved to something different. I don't know if they're brave enough to to bring a different vibe to Bond and, and to change almost the genre of the movie, although I think that they would they would make a better product. I mean, look, the, the reality is that this movie is too expensive. Like, it doesn't matter how well this film does. The box, it's not going to make its money back. Um, like I'm almost confident, right? Like this film costs like 250, 300 million dollars on budget before marketing, and they probably spent 200 million in marketing for this movie. And when you factor in the fact that the tickets at best are 50 50 between them and movie theaters, they're worse in other, you know, overseas markets. They're gonna have to make like almost a billion, right? To like break even. And I just don't think that's gonna happen. And so I, f- I think that they're just in this hard place where the budget is gonna have to shrink. Now, do they? try to make a film next that is the same as we've gotten, but just a smaller budget. So like, I don't know, fewer big set pieces, fewer explosions, fewer like crazy, ridiculous stunts going on. Whereas I think they should just give it to some like indie director. Personally, I think they should give it some indie British director who's done some sort of like noir pulpish movie and ask him to make a, like basically a Lacar adaptation something like that you're describing ben wheatley right now we're gonna see have a ben wheatley oh bond my God. Film i'm like sorry that. i'm not interested in ben wheatley bond movie I, i'm i'd be more interested in that than probably what they'll end up making but i don't know <laughs> that guy's all over the place like rebecca i just can't imagine i just can't imagine the guy who did rebecca doing doing the bond movie but well maybe. Uh, yeah I, you got you got his his other movies are way more representative of who he is as a yeah. director than rebecca. have you seen his new movie this year it was at sundance but i don't know if you saw no, it. i haven't seen it yeah in the earth i think is what it's called um, kill, kill list i made it like no free fire i made it like 20 minutes into that movie and i turned it off it was so bad but anyway this is not that's not a good ben advertisement for, no. for for ben wheatley um look something like that sure something like that um i mean there's all this talk this week about denny villeneuve would love to do a bond bond movie i'm like bro just shut up and make your other dune movies just stop there are other direct and make your goddamn dune movies exist, man like. before, before i lose my mind um i love that guy but do do one thing at a time denny come on you can do your bond movie in like 20 years chill um or we could just have other directors make movies well, like, look other people are gonna make the bond to movies i'm just saying he's gonna make one bond movie and it's gonna be like 15 yeah. years from now he doesn't need to do it um uh, all right guys i think we can wrap up uh what's your favorite scene or moment from no time to die jay i mean everything with Ana de armas but i i already tipped it uh when scott mentioned the the turn and shoot in the tunnel on the island. I like laughed out loud. And yeah, I mean, you know, it was like one more time. And, you know, now I know it was because we weren't going to get it at the end because he was dead. So, you know, one, one last time for good measure. It, it was, was a, it was, it was a good moment. Scott, I'll, I'll let you go next. So I, so I'll go last just because um, I go last I, all the time. I really like the scene from the trailer where they're in the car, the bulletproof car, and every yeah. you know it's just getting like 
pelted with bullets. And it's it's like a great moment from Craig because he's just like there in the car sitting there. You know, he thinks Madeline basically has betrayed him. And he's just like, you know, very con contemplative about like, what do I do here? Right. Like, do I press the is, eject button? Is there even uh, is there a win for me in this scenario? Right. Because we escape. But now uh, here I am thinking that the love of my life has just, you know, sold me out. Um, it's 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 a tough you know moment tough decision for him to make and i think craig um gives a really good performance in the scene and you know it's tense just sitting there waiting for that glass to shatter so i liked it yeah that is that is a really good moment it, this is the problem right they put they put some of their best moments if not all their best moments in the trailer classic classic film in 2020 like blockbuster 2021 having their best scenes in the trailer there's that scene in the trailer there's Anna de Armas kicking someone in heels in the trailer like what are they doing putting those scenes in the movie in the trailer I mean come on guys you're putting the best yeah. stuff in the trailer and it deadens the it just it deadens the impact when you see it in the movie it, it does um which is a bummer because they're great moments I mean my that's probably my favorite I mean my favorite moments definitely in Cuba I think what I there's that and there's also in, again also in the trailer but when they have they're like in like the drone like stealth ship uh, like plane that and then goes underwater and they go into like the submarine based on like oh this is like the one thing we haven't had in the Craig Bond movies we haven't had some sort of like underwater like shit like submarine device that they've flown like in what was the last Roger Moore one the spy who loved me like there hasn't been anything like that in these movies I was like really fun to see that again that was in the trailer the Cuba bar fight was in the trailer I mean I just I was cackling when you know Craig was Craig and and you know, Anadarmus are like, you know, hitting hitting the bottle like midway through the fight and like reloading. I mean, the, I you know, I, obviously I am not the one who loves the campy side of Bond the most of our of this trio here. But like I like I like my camp still. And that was super campy for them to just like, you know, hit the bottle halfway through the fight and go again. And I enjoyed that. And so I, I like it in measurements at the very least. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of really good scenes. Uh, in this movie, I mean, Billy Magnuson's like death by getting crushed by his own car was a fantastic scene. At least that one wasn't in the trailer. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's lots of there's lots of individual moments to love, I think, in this. Um, before we put a score on it, I, I want to ask, since we didn't do a Bond recap episode, That's do you all want to take a minute, do your rankings, come up with your ranking of all the, the movies that we watch so we can. I'm sure Jay is slaying our list this afternoon. The, the movies we've watched, we're not, I mean, yeah. No, you have just, to rank all of them. Okay. The I, have, I have it ready. Okay. <laughs> you're just guessing what your, what, your, what your list would be? We have 11, 11 movies to rank, basically. So, um, or are you just talking about the correct Jay. Ones? We're no, doing all I'm of them, right? All of them, yeah. The, yeah. Okay, the yeah, ones okay. from the Countdown series, yeah. Uh, all right. Jay, if you got it, fire away. Go from bottom up. Yeah, all right. So we have Live and Let Die. Spectre, Quantum, From Russia with Love, Spy Who Loved Me, Golden Eye, No Time to Die comes in at five, License to Kill four, Goldfinger three, Skyfall two, Casino Royale one. All right, uh, Scott. Uh, live and Let Die. Sorry, Scott. I know. Yes. I know that <laughs> so Death by Thousand here for you on this one. Um, from Russia with Love, uh, Quantum of Solace, Spectre, The Spy Who Loved Me, Golden Eye, Goldfinger, 
No Time to Die at number four. License to Kill at three. Casino Royale two. Skyfall at one. Wow. Well, I've got the outlier here, I guess. Um, number eleven, Spectre. Number ten, Quantum of Solace. Um, my number nine is going to be From Russia with Love. I have License to Kill at number eight. It's just okay for me. Um, number seven, No Time to Die. Number six, Live and Let Die. Um, number five, I have Golden Eye. Number four, Gold Finger. Number three. I was back and forth on three and two, but I will put Spy Who Loved Me at number three. Um, and then Skyfall number two and Casino Royale number one. So there you go. Uh, last order of business. Let's put a score on No Time to Die. You've heard where it ranks. Uh, where does it uh, fall on the scale out of 10, Jay? This one was too easy, guys. 007. All right. Uh, he gave it a point zero zero. Uh, His Scott. lowest score on record. Um, yeah, look, I, I I think it gets a bit of a bump because of all the reasons that I laid out earlier for me. So I recognize that I'm probably coming in a little high on this, but I'm giving it an 8.2. And I, even though I think I like the movie more than Jay, uh, I'm going to be lower than him because that's just how Jay's scale works. But I give it a 6.8. It's, it's a solidly good time. Um, I had a lot more fun with it than I was expecting the obvious flaws that you expect to be there are there. Um, but I guess it says something maybe about Carrie Fukunaga as the director that they, they didn't ruin the movie for me. Female characters, though, which is the problem you'd expect. Yeah. One of the problems you'd expect. Not there. Definitely, definitely a lot better than average. Um, all right, guys, that'll do it for our review of No Time to Die and for our Bond Countdown series. Uh, thank you to Jay. Um, for joining us again on this journey it's always a pleasure sir um likewise scott and i will be scott and i will take a break and we'll be right back we're going to talk a little bit about uh scott's time at the new york film festival the movies he was able to see there um and we'll just get a get a taste of some of the the oscar contenders and everything that scott has gotten an early look at so um we'll be right back with that so stay tuned of some like it scott um scott before we hear from you on your uh time at the new york film festival i did want to mention a big trailer drop that has happened since we did our last episode um paul thomas anderson's new film licorice pizza um you know we were kind of speculating is this movie even going to come out in 2021 what is the title going to be it was originally called soggy bottom what's the deal with this movie um we started hearing more about it saw a poster got the the title and now we have a trailer and scott i have to say after watching this trailer i feel very dumb for not having had this on you know my most anticipated of the year list again we didn't know anything about it but i should have just by the virtue of of, of it being a paul thomas anderson film i probably should have had it in my top five because yeah. watching this i was like oh yeah he's pretty good at this um and specifically i think what excites me about this trailer is Sean, I think it was Sean Fennessy actually who tweeted, it looks like Boogie Days, right? And Boogie Nights is my favorite of all of Paul Thomas Anderson's films and one of my favorite movies, period. Um, yeah. And this absolutely does look like 
Boogie Day. I mean, it's a coming of age story, right? In the way that Boogie Nights was, um, it's set in LA. It looks like it probably have a great soundtrack. I mean, he uses the Life on Mars, the David Bowie song in the trailer to great effect. Um, we have Cooper Hoffman, son of uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, will be playing the lead role here in the movie. Um, Alana Heim of the band Heim will be making her film debut as well um, as sort of his love interest, it looks like. Uh, Bradley Cooper um, steals, steals some moments in the trailer. I, I think the speculation is, and I probably agree with this, that he's probably not going to have a substantial role in the movie. It seems like um, maybe he'll show up for a couple, two or three scenes, be a kind of a scene stealer. Um, he's like first bill. If you go to like places, char so character actor, Bradley Cooper, I got to say, I like it. Like I, I like yeah. this more than, you know, him trying to, to be the leading man. Uh, Cause that doesn't always work out, but um, well, do you like 30 year old Alana Heim playing like teenager? I don't know. She looks, she looks young. She looks I mean, young. she does look yeah, young. That's true. And, she is the youngest of the Heim sisters. Not that that really means anything, but um, yeah. But you know, there is there is something to be said for that, I guess. But um, at PTA also directed a lot of Heim music videos, so I'm sure the the connection started there. But um, yeah, Scott, I'm just ex so excited for this movie. It looks like just great vibes. It looks like it's going to be just a great great hangout movie. Um, it looks 100% like my type of movie. Um, and I'm always excited when Paul Thomas Anderson makes a movie, of course, because he's one of the best directors we have. But um, especially when it's something like this, you know, as opposed to like his last movie, Phantom Thread, which I still liked a lot, but um, is certainly not as in my wheelhouse um, as something like this looks yeah. to be. So not a feel good um, movie. I would, I would be surprised if this doesn't end up very high on my year end list. I, I'm not trying to overreact from a trailer, but I think it's. But you're but you're reacting, that's for sure. But I am, yeah. It's a really good trailer. Do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, look, I'm not as familiar with PTA's, you know, filmography. It's one of the, probably the things that I feel like I should because I I did like Phantom Thread a lot, and I love There Will Be Blood. I mean, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, but I honestly I haven't seen much else like The Master, and um, you know what's what's the other PTA film from last decade? I mean, from the from the last decade that yeah. those are the only two he made in the last decade okay well then i'm just thinking of the master then like that's one that i well, oh sorry inherent vice inherent vice is the one i was thinking of yeah the master and inherent vice i mean those have been i mean those have been near the top of my list of movies i need to watch um for lots of different reasons i just feel like i am gonna like them and then yeah the older stuff too i mean i it, it's just he has such a wide variety of movies i mean i feel like you talk about this with like people like him and edgar wright they're just like every single time they make a movie it feels like they're doing something different they're not making the same kind of movie over and over again. Um, and they usually work, right? I mean, prob probably PTA more so than Edgar Wright, but um, you know, they're they're in the kind of they're the kind of directors who want to do different different things and bring different different types of vibes, but still be heavily vibed in the movies. Um, and yeah, I think that's admirable. So I look, I, I don't know if this is necessarily a film that is meant for me, but I will definitely see it and I wouldn't be surprised if I love it. Yeah. Another one to, to be excited for as we get into the sort of awards season, I believe it's has a November release date or maybe early December at this point. It's something um, like that. It's like something in the Thanksgiving. Yeah. Territory. So right, right around the corner, not too far away. Um, November 26th. There you go. Thanksgiving. Um, Scott, uh, the big topic, I guess, to discuss here, you, 
just completed a, a stint at the New York Film Festival. You saw 13 movies, I believe. Um, uh, 15 new movies. And then I saw also saw, um, yeah. what's it called? I saw Assault the John Carpenter 13. movie, Assault on Precinct movie. Yes. Yeah. Just a couple I, I want to ask you about. I mean, I could ask you about all of them because there's a lot of big movies that you you got a chance to see and that we're going to be probably talking about a lot over the next few months. Absolutely. Particularly in awards conversations and best of the year and all that. Mm -hmm. um, but I think we have to start with Dune, right? It's a movie that sure. we've been talking about for a long time, um, a couple of years now. It was on your, it was number one, I think, on your most anticipated. No, it was number two behind Tenet, I believe, last in, year. Last year, yeah. Um, but then it did rise to number one this year, for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, we've talked about Denis Villeneuve on this very episode. Um, does it live up to the, you know, astronomical hype surrounding it? For me, it did. And I say, and I want to emphasize for me, because I, I do, I do potentially see some holes in this thing that, that is not gonna, is gonna make this film not work for everyone. It's such an interesting adaptation for me. I mean, I haven't seen David Lynch's version and i haven't seen the mini like the tv mini series and whatnot so i don't have a comparison point but i do think that there is this like like it is this fascinating adaptation that sacrifices i think some of the things that i think make dune so beloved by people who have read the book but what it, in its sacrifice it makes the movie more accessible and more watchable i think to a wider audience even then, though, I'm not 100% sure that it gets it'll get all the way to the viewer uh, on this on this one. I think it's it's more approachable, but I don't know if it crosses the threshold of like full approachability. I think that you sort of just have to accept that you're not getting the full Dune experience if you just watch the movie. Um, it's something that I thought a lot about after seeing it. Um, actually, just the other night it was one of my more recent watches. I saw it Thursday. Uh, last Thursday at the time of recording. And it's just one of these like things where like, because I'm so familiar with it, right? Because I read the book earlier this year for the first time. Like I am, am like immediately able to connect all the dots and see the pieces that have been taken out and the and sort of the characters that are missing. It's like, frankly, Scott, this the adaptation takes like basically just removes several characters. I mean, they are in the movie, but they are not in the movie in any meaningful mm -hmm. way. And like, I feel like part of the experience of Dune is like you get to know and you certainly get like scenes with every like basically every character and you don't really get that as much in the adaptation for me that's okay because like you had to sacrifice somewhere even in this like two part machine that he, he has like conceptualized it, it won't be watchable if you go full book I mean that's just like the truth of like most adaptations right like you have to make some changes in order to make it a movie. Right. Like you, you can't do a straight adaptation. And I think in those sacrifices, he has created something that like is the best that I could have hoped for realistically with the film. It's incredibly watchable. Scott, like when I said in my review on Letterboxd that I could have watched this film for another two and a half hours, like I'm dead serious. Like this thing was a full blooded 155 minutes and I would have been perfectly happy just to go ahead and seen have seen part two um, in the theater that night. I mean, it, it is so watchable. The scale of it is uh, immense and but like not in a way that feels like so overwhelming, at least to me, like it didn't feel overwhelming. And I think that most audiences aren't going to feel overwhelmed. I think they might feel a little lost or that the, that the plot is moving really quickly after the first act, but I don't think people are going to feel too overwhelmed. And I think that's because 
you have some really outstanding performances from Timotei um, and Rebecca Ferguson, who I think keep the plot moving um, really well. And I think that again, I'm again worried. I'm, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of the, of the, of the, of the people who haven't read the book, right? Like the trailer has given a very particular impression. And I think that Brandon and I have tried to talk you off of, getting a certain impression that like certain oh, characters. No. Yeah. I know that the trailer is trying to present like the most mainstream image that they could possibly present. Yeah. It, I mean, like they, 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 they have somehow managed to downscale the Rebecca Ferguson role a little bit, which is probably for the best. Like it's somewhere in the middle of like where the book is and where the trailer trailer is like in the book, she's like almost a main character for the first like two thirds of, of the book. And in the trailer, she's like basically not even there at all. And in the movie, she's like somewhere in the middle. The same goes for Zendaya who, isn't even in the book for the first two thirds. Her her character Chani isn't even in the book for the first two thirds of it. For for the first two thirds of it, but they do again. They sort of frame everything where you're getting a lot more from later on, earlier through these visions that Paul has, Timothy Chalamet's character has, and I think that makes it more watchable. Like I do think that makes it better to be getting to to be to like know what's coming later on. Like it makes you feel less lost. I think earlier on. So I feel like I've hedged a lot. I loved this movie. I haven't decided whether it's my favorite movie of the year yet. I'm going to have to see it again to decide that. But it was everything I wanted it to be. I mean, Villeneuve just has an eye for this kind of spectacle. I think he proved it in Blade Runner 2049. Um, and it's amazing because he's also great at the smaller scale, too. Like with things like Prisoners and Arrival, who are, which are much more contained movies. Um, and story, their storytelling is, is really immense. Um, it's it's amazing what that Dune feels like the sort of like connect like the intersection of the scale of Blade Runner and epic and visual visualness of Blade Runner twenty forty nine with like the storytelling of Arrival. Um, again, not as good as Arrival in terms of a storytelling department, but it's the blending of those two things fully into something that's like immense and huge and complex and impossible to adapt. Right, and I still think it's impossible to adapt in a, in a in a true way, but I think he did a great job. Hans Zimmer is was just fully vibing um, in the post-screening Q&A. And his score, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if it won. Um, I'd have to stop and think a little bit about what the contender, other contenders are going to be for you know best, best score this year at the Oscars. But this thing is like incredibly original with what it's doing um, and really complementing the whole feel of the film. And uh, look, the guy is... <laughs> The guy must have been drunk at <laughs> the Q&A uh, after the film because he was just having the best time up on stage. He was hilarious. He was telling some some good gags for sure. But look, I, I hope this film is successful. I think it's probably the best chance at a Dune movie being successful. Um, and God, ho God, God help us if this film doesn't make enough money for them to make the part two. That will actually be, it'll be one of the biggest disappointments, I think. And not even from a huge Dune fan, because I'm trying to think of like people who go see this movie who don't even have any connection to Dune. Like if you don't get part two, you're going to like want to like flog a child or something because the, <laughs> the story really leaves you hanging <laughs> big time. There you go. Dune is so good. It will have you wanting to flog children. Uh, Scott Shelton. No, you that's not first. Fun, but sure. um, why not? Yeah. And we, of course, we'll have a full review of the movie. Um, that is what I hear. After it uh, has a wide release, so in two weeks. look forward to talking. 
look forward to talking more about it then, Scott. Uh, I'm still looking forward to the movie. I don't know that it's going to be one of my absolute favorites based on what you've said. No, I, uh, we'll see. But I think I've I tried. Will. I've tempered I your expectations so much now. Maybe you'll be blown yeah. away. I, I mean, I think I'll still really enjoy it. I, I think it'll. I'll it, admire the craft on display. I'm sure. But um, it's so. It's like Scott, such a visionary piece. Like both from yeah. like the source material and from Villeneuve. It's like it's remarkable. A couple other movies I want to ask you about that, um, you know, we've talked about a lot, excited about, um, you know, coming out this year, both directed by females, The Lost Daughter, which is Maggie Gyllenhaal's debut feature, and then The Power of the Dog, which is uh, the Jane Campion Western that uh, is going to be released by Netflix um, later this year. Well, they're both being released uh, by Netflix later this year. That's true. Yeah. Lost Daughter is also Netflix. But yeah. um, both of these movies you were able to see. Yeah. Are you uh, do you think that the hype again is justified? Um, are these going to be Oscar contenders? Um, what do you think? Yeah, I think that they are, Scott. I'll just be honest. I think that these are absolutely Oscar contenders. I think The Lost Daughter is great. I think it's like a really great film. Um, Olivia Coleman is just like I mean, I'm, I've all I'm like, I have been a really big fan of hers for a long time. I, I do. I wasn't like totally on board with the favorite or whatever just because that wasn't my favorite movie of all time. I think there's better Yorgos Lanthimos and there's just so much going on with those three characters that she can I mean, she kind of gets overshadowed by Emma Stone in that movie, in my opinion. Um, just my opinion. Uh, that's our lost episode. Anyway, you can't even, you can't even get the receipts on that. I don't think Is you it? can go back. Oh yeah. I think that and green book or, or I don't know, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I can't remember. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, but Maggie Gyllenhaal, amazing first time director. Like she, clearly has an eye for it um dakota johnson is going for a completely different character than i've seen in any other movie i mean she is just going like full hot girl post-covid summer uh in this movie she's basically like the the trophy wife of of this like banker essentially of the movie i mean she's one of the main characters in the film but they it's it's just fascinating what they do like they basically have her they don't have a close-up shot of her for like basically the entire first long scene she's in it. It's just these like distant shots from Olivia Coleman's perspective. And it's just it's just really great filmmaking. It really is. Like that was one of the things that I I was expecting to enjoy it. Like it won a screenwriting award at Cannes. I think it was Cannes. Uh, wherever it debuted, it won a screen it won the screenwriting award. I don't know if it was Venice or wherever it was. Maybe it was Venice. Um and so I was expecting that to be good. I was expecting Olivia Coleman to be good. Jesse Buckley, who I haven't mentioned yet, Dakota Johnson. I was expecting all of them to be good, but I wasn't expecting the sort of the craft behind it too. I, I just felt like it was really good filmmaking, um, even beyond the sort of like component parts that I just mentioned. And that was what was really impressive for Maggie Gyllenhaal. Like, there's an argument every single year about who gets into the best director category. It. I don't know if she'll get into the best director category just because I think there's going to be other options that the Academy might smile more favorably on. And I think Jane Campion might be one of those that we'll talk about in a second. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's really outstanding. And if this is what's a sign of what's to come for her, I mean, fantastic. It was my number two film at the festival. I absolutely loved it. Jesse Buckley, Scott, rest assured, she's still turning in performances that should give her Oscar nominations that probably won't. I mean, maybe this year she, yeah. she'll have it, but I don't know. I, yeah. I haven't really sat down and thought about the supporting actress field too much yet because uh, she will be a supporting Supporting character for sure. Olivia Coleman's the clear lead. But there's just so much going on in this movie. Also, just the subject matter of this film is like super interesting. It, it is, and they were talking about this even before the movie, and then in, especially a lot more in the QA. It's just like this is a movie about a, a story about a woman that just feels like 
you may never like you probably would never have heard this story before not in it's like oh this like xyz thing happens but just like really peeling away layers of a character who's like probably not a good person um and really exploring that and having this character sort of like go through the motions of like coming to terms with the fact that she's maybe made some like really hor like she's made some horrible decisions in her life and i think that that is really compelling and olivia coleman plays that so well uh jesse buckley plays the younger version of her in flashbacks um and i like that duality it, it is paced really nicely because of those going back and forth between the two um which i don't often always say about that uh it, it can really be it can feel choppy sometimes but in in this film it felt fluid um which was nice and then the other film is the power of the dog that was my number yeah. five film in the festival scott but i say that like i'm looking at my number fit like my 15 movies of this and i literally think i gave like four or four and a half stars to all of my top 10 um at least right so really really high quality film here as well benedict people were saying before this and i think i mentioned this in my letterbox review when i was talking about it there is that people talked a lot i think coming out of telluride and wherever else this film debuted venice i don't remember where uh about kirsten dunst in this in this movie and this being like a real return to form for her I think she's good, but this is this is Benedict Cumberbatch's movie like a thousand percent. He is incredible in this film. I will be shocked if he does not get a Best Actor nomination for this role. Jesse Plemons is also very good. Um, and then Cody Smith McPhee. I actually think he's sort of like the the secondary person who like gets all the attention from me and, and maybe other people's opinions will differ on this. But I think, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch from start to finish. I mean, he just like holds your attention on the screen in a in like kind of a in a singular way almost right like people all the time talk about scene stealing moments where it's just like every time he's in the scene you're like holding your breath you're watching what he's doing and it's a it's a mesmerizing performance from benedict cumberbatch it's absolutely amazing the filmmaking i mean i talked about maggie gyllenhaal being really showing some some really so a surprising strength in her filmmaking ability with the lost daughter i think jane campion i mean she hasn't made a movie in like 12 years or whatever but she hasn't lost any of her ability um, to craft a film. I mean, the whole movie, Scott, like whatever you do, do not get spoiled about what this movie, where this movie ends up. No, um, like, don't, don't, don't go out there and get spoiled because when I see this movie for the second time and however many more times I see it after this, like I won't have the same feeling of tension that I feel throughout the entire film. Like it'll still somewhat be there because I think that's the quality of the film you're seeing from Jane Campion and that craft. But there's just something particular about every single scene. You have, you just have no idea how it's going to end, I think, in every moment. And it just, it you just really, it catches your breath. Con you're catching your breath constantly through this film because you just don't know what this character that Benedict Cumberbatch is going to do next and, and how these other characters are going to respond to it. Um, really powerful stuff. And the fact that it's number five is the pure quality, you know, of the films at the festival that I saw. I couldn't recommend it highly enough is basically what I'm saying. Great. I mean, that's that's great to hear. Again, two movies that we'll probably have full reviews of on the podcast when they come out. Uh, two that yeah. I'm very excited for. It's good to hear your your vote of confidence for them. I, if, if I yeah. could be more excited about either of them, I am. Yeah. Uh, I, three no. quick surprises that I don't talk about. I don't, yeah, I, that was going to be my last question. That's going to be my last question was, uh, is there anything of any other movies, one or two other movies that 
Yeah. Um, you know, maybe we haven't talked about as much on the podcast before, um, but that you saw and you want to make sure that people have it on their radars. Yeah. So I think three movies that we definitely like we maybe mentioned one of these movies once, maybe. And I'm not sure if it was on air, if it was just when we were talking separately. Uh, but that first film that I mentioned that we may have mentioned before is Petite Maman, which is Celine Shiama's uh, next film. Scott, this movie has your name written all over it. If the only reason is because it is like 72 minutes long. It is so <laughs> yeah, short. That. It is so short. Um, and I loved it because I feel like so many of the films at the festival were 120 plusers. Like so many of them. I think that I'd have mm-hmm. to look, but I, I'd probably like 12 of the 15 movies I saw were over 120 minutes. Um, and it was refreshing to then watch like a 75 minute movie incredibly moving french film celine shiama for those who aren't familiar most recently did portrait of a lady on fire which is a movie that i saw in 2020 would have made my top 10 of 2019 list if i'd seen it in 2019 uh really really powerful film i don't know that it quite reaches that level i mean that movie scott i know you never i don't think you ever went back and finished watching it but i was so moved by that film i think there's so much craft just talking about filmmaking craft I guess a lot in this segment um, was just so mesmerizing. One of the things that really stood out for me in Portrait of Lady Fire is, is how well she crafted music in the context of her film, like not having this sort of, I guess I should say all the movie, all the music in the film is organic in Portrait of Lady Fire. Like there's nothing that's, that's complimenting the movie. Any, any music that you hear is in the context of what's happening in the film. Um, and that is actually, I think also true for Petite Maman, except for, one moment, although you could argue that it still is also in the context of the of the film, but there's basically only one use of music in the movie, and it's just such a such an explosion, I think, of emotion and joy. And this is a film not about two lovers who essentially had a missed encounter, like they were together for a few weeks and then were essentially never never really saw each other again after that, except for one time at the end of the movie. Uh, this is a film about a daughter. Uh, a young daughter whose grandmother just dies. And while they are cleaning out her mother's childhood home, um, has a few weird experiences happen. And I just found it incredibly charming, very moving ultimately. Um, and just, again, really powerful filmmaking from her. It makes me want to, you know, with two hits like this, it makes me want to go back and, and watch some of her earlier films as well. Cause it's clearly, a, she's clearly a director who um, I'm connecting with pretty, pretty strongly on her movies but that was a that was a really strong outing another one that we, i mean i had never heard of before the festival it's called wheel of fortune and fantasy i think i messaged you on the side about this this is a japanese mm-hmm. film from ryusuke hamaguchi who had two films at the new york film festival this was the shorter one his other was a three-hour epic called uh drive my car which i don't know if that's gonna i don't know when that'll be released in the u.s but i know it's got it has a release in new york but i don't know if it has a wide release yet in the u.s or if it will but wheel of fortune and fantasy is a is a compilation of three short films with similar thematic elements. Um, It's essentially about this whole notion of coincidence and how certain relationships or moments affect the rest of your life. Um, And I, and yeah, just really moving. Not every short, every, not every segment of the movie struck me the same way, but the last short film in particular. um, Yeah. There was just something that really grabbed me Uh, and even, and sort of, I guess sort of elevated the rest of the rest of the movie. I mean, I thought very highly of all three, but that finishing so strongly with that last one in my book elevated the rest of it even more. So that was a really good outing. 
he seems like a, a a director scott that's like really up both of our alleys um i haven't seen asako one and two which i think is his yeah. previous major I hadn't honestly heard of him really until yeah. you start talking about this movie yeah but he seems like someone who'd be up our alley because he's really reckoning with things like you know i mean, and it is about like sort of modern love almost these like notions of missed encounters and mm-hmm. um you know how how modern relationships affect our lives and so i think that's something that that usually those kinds of movies usually speak to both of us i think you think he's something like normal people and um things of a similar genre uh, I think the worst person in the world is another movie actually that I just saw tonight that I think is of a similar vein, Scott, that you'd really enjoy, um, which is mm-hmm. a, a Norwegian film by Joaquin Trier, who I'd never heard of before. Uh, but that's not the last movie I want to talk about. I want to talk about Parallel Mothers, which is Pedro Moldovar's is the last movie I want to talk about. This is my number three film of the festival, Scott. And I was really taken aback. Like I thought Pain and Glory back in 2019 was like good, maybe even great. But like I, I haven't thought very much about that movie since I saw it. and. Maybe it was like my sort of like on the f- being on the fence about him and being like, you know, clearly like he's a great filmmaker. He's a, like probably one, probably the best Spanish filmmaker still alive, um, like working today. But maybe I'm just not going to connect. I mean, it's one movie, right? Like I need to. I, need yeah, to like I mean, it. I don't think any I think there are a few people out there who would probably tell you that it's one of his, you know, top tier films or one sure. of his classics. Yeah. Know, but Parallel Mother is this sort of. It's all the rage in 21 to sort of create these like multi like two types of movies or or even more than that in one film. This is another film that does it. It does it extremely, extremely well. It is a sort of traditional relationship drama, not in a romantic way, but this relationship between two people who have this shared experience of giving birth at the same time, essentially, and how that relationship evolves over the course of weeks and months. Um, and even years, I think, by the end of the movie, the time the amount of time has passed, and it's sort of like sa- like it is the meat of a sandwich where the bread is this sort of like historical retrospective and sort of reconciliation of the Spanish Civil War. It has this really interesting wrapper um, that, of course, I actually don't want to say. Of course, it is not of the level of the Holocaust, so I, I don't want to over compare here. But like has a very, again, just in sort of like the beginning and the end, has a very Schindler's listy feel of like, I need to like, we as a society and a culture need to come to terms with the atrocities that happened during the Spanish Civil War. Um, and <laughs> I, to be, I'm, I'm, I say I don't want to overcompare, but they, they literally have like a sort of like everyone walks out to this field at the end of the movie where uh, this sort of like unmarked mass burial site is like the whole town that's around it. Um and sort of have this like almost Schindler's List type scene, which I it, I'm laughing, but it's not funny. It's a really powerful moment yeah. um, in both movies. But yeah, I was really taken aback. Like Penelope Cruz, who I thought was just average in Pain and Glory, is amazing in this movie. I think she's wonderful. She won Best Actress, I think, at I don't remember what film festival any of these movies debuted at. I think it was one of them. Can Venice? Who cares? Yeah. Who knows? It's one of them. One of the one of the ones she won Best Actress at. Um, and I get it. I really do. She's great. Um, there's also a newcomer uh, in this who plays the other parallel mother of of the title, and her name is Mal- uh, Melina Smith, or I think just Lena Smith. She goes by. She plays Anna, who's this um, younger person giving birth in the maternity ward when Penelope Cruz's character is. And I just, I clearly just had no idea what this film was because 
this film goes to like so many different places has a bunch of twists frankly in it um and i was just captivated by it like i really was uh i can't recommend it highly enough again it ended up being number three on this list of you know where the top five or you know, may very well end up being all in my top 10 by the end of the year um because i do feel like i've seen so much at this point like there are some there's a few left here and there but there's not that many left still to unseat things that are in my top 10 um but remarkable movie scott i think this thing has a christmas release it may not get a wide release until early next year that sort of seems like the the rollout that was also the case for pain and glory as well earlier on but when this movie comes around i I really want you to see it. Not because I think you'll necessarily yeah, love it. I want to see it. I will. But it's just like, it was just wasn't what I expected at all. And it was really remarkable. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, the the recap from New York Film Fest. Scott, you'll notice I didn't ask you about Red Rocket because I don't want to know another thing. Like, I I just need this movie like I need water, um, if I'm being quite honest with you. Yeah. I mean, I, I, told, I told you about why so many people walked out of it in our chat. Yeah, sure, uh, sure. And I mean, you you can get that from the trailer. Like, you, you that's not, it wasn't really like a spoiler or anything. Like, I, I think yeah, I mean, that's why I was okay trailer, telling you it because I'm like, it's not, it's only a minor right. spoiler, but yeah. But I mean, I don't want to know anything more because um, I'm, you know, couldn't be more excited to see. Oh, uh, Simon Rex is the lead of the movie. The I will tell you that. Yeah, I'd actually picked up on that too, amazingly yeah. enough. Um, and there, is, there I, are I, sex scenes in the film. Okay. Uh, Scott, thank you for your for your recap there. Um, I'm looking forward to a lot of these movies that you talked about. Um, yeah. While you were experiencing all that, I was watching Saw movies because apparently I hate myself. But uh, I also did watch two movies. I'm not going to talk in any detail about them because we've already gone long. But um, Titan, the Julia de Cornell movie that won the Palme d'Or this year at, at Cannes. Um, loved it. Uh, it's I ca- I cannot even begin to describe to you the level of insane that it is that this movie won the Palm Door. I can't. This is quite possibly the we- Spike Lee shit. <laughs> that's how that's yeah. how it won. This is quite possibly the most bizarre movie I've ever seen. Uh, like another two hander. Another two hander this year though. Right. It's like two different movies. Yeah. 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 Uh, another. I mean, quite possibly the weirdest movie I've ever seen. I liked it a lot. Still processing a lot of it. It's not for everyone. It's probably not for Scott over here. But um, the movie is. It's. It's. It is vision. And talking about visionary, this is visionary, and it, it definitely uh, cements Julia de Cornau as a, as a real. Have you, you seen know, Raw? Daring original filmmaker. Have I seen Raw? Yeah, absolutely. I love Raw. Um, there you go. Garance Marillier, who was the actress in Raw, also appears in Titan. Not a huge role, but the actress Agatha something, who plays the lead role in Titan, it's it's her debut. I think it's um, Russell or something like that. I don't know how she'll ever top this, but um, well, she might not. Yeah, it's quite quite a movie. But she'll be in a Slim Shyama movie, movie in like ten years. The other movie, which I is also one of my favorites of the year and that I've seen twice now is Malignant, the James Wan um, horror, horror flick, which was just not on my radar at all because I don't yeah. really like James Wan's horror efforts. Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, well, Saw, but, uh, you know, more recently, yeah. The Conjuring and Insidious movies are just, I've never been able to get into them. Um, I found them kind of derivative. And this movie is anything but derivative. That's what makes it so great is this truly is a blank check movie. Like this is the definition of a blank check movie. He just made a billion dollar movie with Aquaman. And now they're basically like, make whatever you want. And he chose to make this insane movie. 
um, that just, especially in the third act, goes absolutely insane um, in the best way possible. Tongue planted firmly in cheek. Like, I think he knows exactly what type of movie that this is. Um, and that makes it all the more fun. I like the first part of the movie, too. That's a little bit more of like a crime procedural in a way. Um, but you got to see the movie. This one I do want Scott to, uh, to check out for sure, even if it's not totally in. What well, it just went off HBO Max. <laughs> Tomorrow, I think, is the last day, isn't it? Uh, it so came out it October today. or September 10th. So it's already been 32 uh, it might have days. Been it might have been today. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, it'll probably be out on digital soon, I would think. But um, don't miss this movie. Again, this is probably my biggest will, th- will this be the possessor of this year? Is this the movie you see me like, this is the horror movie I have to see this year? Yeah, I, quite possibly. I mean, it's, it's my biggest surprise of the year so far. Like, I, I loved this movie. Um, it's okay. just, it's so fun. Like, it is. So I shouldn't spoil myself about this movie because I was about to pull up a video. No, no. Okay. I, no, Scott. No. I'm closing. Uh, I'm closing abso- the browser right now. Absolutely not. Uh, please do not spoil it yourself. Uh, I was able to avoid it, even though I saw people talking about how crazy the third act was. I was like, I gotta avoid it. I was able to, and I'm so glad I did because it. You won't be able to predict it. Let me tell you that. And uh, okay. Well, you you might be able to predict. Like, I'm not gonna say it's just like out of out of nowhere what happens, but the <laughs> level to which it goes, it, you will not be able to predict. That, the, like it goes, it goes to 11 in, in the last, in the third act of this movie. Again, in the best way possible. And Annabelle Wallace is really good in the movie in the lead role, so. Um, okay. Highly recommend Malignant and, and Titan, but Titan. Well, we celebrated Mean Girls Day too, last week. We did, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Got to God see bless the, October 3rd. the brunch screening at Alamo Draft House. So it's been a good month of movies already, Scott, and it's only going to get better um, for you know the the next few weeks. Um, you know, again, we here, we're looking Absolutely. at October. We we're looking at October for a long time, and um, you know, I'm I'm excited to see um what the rest of the rest of the month uh provides but all right that'll do it for this episode of sun like it scott we hope you've enjoyed uh this episode we went a little longer but hey we were we were back from a little bit of a hiatus and had a lot yeah. to talk about so we it was we hope you enjoyed the episode we, we hope you enjoyed the bond countdown if you haven't uh, you know listened to all the episodes make sure and, and check them out right here in the feed we we did 10 other bond movies um and we had a great time so uh, make sure and and go through that series. Um, don't forget to support our podcast on all of your preferred podcast apps. Rate, review, subscribe, do all the things that you do on those apps. Uh, and, of course, we hope you will be back for our next episode of the podcast on which we will be reviewing uh, the first of two Ridley Scott directorial efforts in 2021, The Last Duel. But until then, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you next time.